It was really hard. I cannot just tell you that. I remember this lady saw me in the hospital and asked me, I have just one kid going through this pain. How are you doing with two kids with sickle cell? I believe that I've always been that strong mom and love those kids with all my heart. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombad, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African. Today, we will continue our conversation on sickle cell. And we will approach this topic from a different perspective, which is in regards to normalizing blood donation in Africa. So I have two guests here who will be talking to us and they will really shed more light regarding sickle cell from a different perspective. So I have here with me Mrs. Zita Fomafong and Mrs. Charlotte. I just want to welcome you guys here. How are you guys doing? Very good. Welcome to having us. Thank you. So I would just start with a brief introduction. I would like for you guys to let the listeners know who you are and what you do. So I'll start with Ms. Zeta. Hi. Well, um, thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, my name is Zeta Pumapung. I am a CPA by profession, uh, which is actually a certified public accountant for those who don't know what CPA means. And overall, I view myself as a solution seeker. Right. So I'm also, I'm a serial entrepreneur, hobbyist, if you want to call it that way. And I just, with my latest business, which is Bojongo CPAs, where I provide um, a wide host of services in the DFW area, so in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Well, I have several passion projects and I'm going to speak mostly about Lifeline Africa, which is why I'm actually on the podcast. Um, that's a, fun, um, a non-for-profit organization that I founded in 2018, and it's really about educating and sensitizing the populations in, in population in Cameroon about the importance of blood donation. So I'll just leave that introduction at that. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Right. Thank you so much, Ms. Zeta. I am so happy to have you on here, and I really look forward to learning more about what you do especially. Now to Ms. Charlotte, can you please introduce yourself? Okay, my name is Charlotte Teji. I'm a mother of five. My goal is uh, always just to talk about sickle cell. I had five kids and two were sickle cell, and they both have bone marrow transplant, which was a fortune to me because having those kids with sickle cell, uh, I usually know the pain that parents are going, and I'm so glad to have you, me on your show. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Miss Charlotte. So let's just cut straight to the chase. So I'll start with you, Miss Charlotte, because I'm really interested in your story about, you know, your encounter with sickle cell. So can you tell us about how you came to know about, you know, your kids having sickle cell? And did you know about any risks factors that maybe could lead to that prior to, you know, when you had your children, maybe your status with your husband and just your, your, your whole story with sickle cell? Okay, I have a long story when it comes to sickle cell. And uh, I have three kids before. There wasn't sickle cell. Before getting married, my status was a new. Already I was uh, AS uh, by working already. So that's uh, a carrier. Yeah, as a carrier. So I knew that I was AS. So when I found my gentleman mm-hmm. and... Uh, that was the first thing I asked him to do, and he did it, and he was AA, which was the best the best group. So yeah. I was, when I had the first one, the second, the third one, I was just shocked to know that the fourth one was a sickle cell. Hmm. So it blows my mind, but, you know, that's something that I never believed, I never knew it's going to happen because I tried to protect that, to prevent that. But I believe that everything that happened happened with a reason right. because that's the reason today that I can help kids with sickle cell. So I have the first one. I was blessed that one of the siblings was the donor. And the second one that had a bone marrow transplant didn't have a donor. But I was so fortunate to have a donor from Brazil who came and gave him the bone marrow and left. So I know the pain that uh, parents are going through. And in 2000, my first daughter, my daughter who has a bone marrow transplant, that was uh, in 20, 2010. So I decided to I decided to create a foundation. So I was able to help kids with sickle cell back home. I'm lucky working in the hospital, so I have medical supplies that I take home. That was my goal. So, but with uh, that was what I was doing. I was giving this medication uh, at uh, Polyclinic Bonanjaw. That was a big help, and uh, kid were with sickle cell was able to go there free of charge. But when Corona came and hit everything, everything stopped. So I'm yeah. still helpful, like Antony. Sometimes when I have cases that they are not able to pay their bill. I make sure that I help the parents do that. So thank you so much for sharing that. We will definitely go deeper into your experiences, you know, in terms of seeking for treatment options with sickle cell and, of course, what you're doing to the community. So just to give a little insight to the perspective that we're coming from, especially with respect to the listeners. So uh, Ms. Zita and Ms. Charlotte are originally from Cameroon. So when you hear certain names, you should know that these are specific places in the country of Cameroon, which is in West Africa. So now, Miss Charlotte, I mean, did you, like, was there like a flaw somewhere with the sickle cell testing? Did you guys try to investigate what actually happened before, you know, because, I mean, in order for you to have two full-blown sickle cell kids, there, there most likely will be an ASAS combination somewhere, you know. So was it that there was a flaw or an issue that was, you know, your husband was not correctly tested? Or did you guys try to look into the, the, the source or the cause of, you know, your offspring having sickle cell? I think the result that they gave me through my husband wasn't the right uh, result because they told me it was AA. Right. So he was tested in Guala, 
Mm-hmm. So I knew everything was okay until when that happened. So right. sometimes we have issue with testing in Cameroon, which sometimes we don't know how. It's so hard to get false results and where the false result can take you into. Right. So that was uh, the main issue. That's, that's where everything started. And uh, when they told me the first one was a sickle cell, I couldn't believe it. It's the third year that I have to go through many labs to confirm the test. So mm-hmm. it was really hard, very difficult for a parent to accept that. Right. So thank you very much for sharing that. And, and it's rather unfortunate. And this also highlights the need for effective or rather efficient testing, you know, and accurate testing as well, because this is a perfect example of how a simple flaw can literally affect an entire lifetime, you know. So now, you know, we got the bad news that two kids have sickle cell. Now, how is life for you taking care of these children? And, you know, what has been your greatest challenge so far, you know, and, and your fears? Just, just you know, experiencing life with these two children, raising them up and stuff like that. And how was your family also impacted by this? I was impacted, but I have a lot of support from my husband first and uh, my family and um, I was just fortunate to be in this country with the last one that was born here that was sickle cell because the fact that we have free insurance here, it was a plus for that support. And she was always sick. But the good thing, she was at any time I was able to take her to emergency room to have treatment. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that we have and we take for granted. And those back home, I feel the pain for those parents. When they are sick, they don't even have money to take them to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason I decided to go back to my community and see what I can do about to help it. those families. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, how was a typical episode like? Like, you know, what are the symptoms that the children showed, which basically led you to know that, okay, we're going through an episode and we have to take this child to the hospital? Mostly is joint pain, kid with sickle cell. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they are born around eight, one year, they have like their hands, they swell, their feet are swelling mm. and they have a pain crisis, like pain that I don't think anybody can endure because I remember when my daughter was three years, she was such a pain that she said, mom, why, why God? It's so painful to see a little child, three years, talking to God, why? Yeah. Asking that question was the most painful thing that I have in my life. And to see this little girl, she's 19 years, kicking life, uh, being so strong, like nothing ever has happened in her life. It's just amazing right. to see this little girl right. more than every, anything. Right. I I can only imagine. I mean, having a sick child is like every parent's worst nightmare, you know, and greatest struggle because you always wish like you could take the pain from them. You could help them in one way or the other. So I would only imagine, I mean, having two children who were always sick would probably even be so devastating. So how did you manage to be strong for them and to be strong for yourself and the family and, you know, just to make sure that at least 
regardless of what they're going through, you guys have some kind of internal strength and support for each other. It was really hard. I cannot just tell you that. I remember this lady saw me in the hospital and asked me, I have just one kid going through this pain. How are you doing with two kids with sickle cell? I believe that I'm always been that strong mom and love those kids with all my heart because when uh, my daughter was having bone marrow transplant, my son was having a stroke. So it wasn't, it's it never been easy, but I believe that I have a strength that God, God have just given me a lot of strength going through all this situation and seeing that son with a stroke at 12 years having bone mar- uh, blood transfusion for three, for nine years, every three weeks. I don't know how I did it, but I believe somebody was doing it for me and somebody is mm. up there. So really, the strength that I always have, keep going, praying and having courage. I never knew I can just be able to talk today about those kids, but, right. but it, was so, it was so painful. Yeah, you're, a- you're definitely a strong woman and thank God, you know, thank you so much as well you know, for the strength, because I'm sure your kids definitely look up to you. I mean, now that you mentioned your son having a stroke, like, you know, what other complications came with the sickle cell episodes? With uh, sickle cell, they have a lot of complications. They can have stroke mm-hmm. and the stroke can paralyze them because I, I went, the last meeting that I went home and I was with those kids with sickle cell, I have some kids that they couldn't talk because they have they have stroke. There are some that they are paralyzed and there are some that they, 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 it comes in many ways because just the joint pain is, I, I don't know how to really explain it to you, but it's so painful to mm-hmm. see those kids when they are in pain. So usually I talk to parents to give them a lot of fluid, mm-hmm. a lot of water, to give love to those kids because those kids are so, they didn't ask to be what they are today and um, give them love as much as they can. So they have a lot of complications. I had one in my hand now. All his feet are really bad, mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to help him. So it's just one of the compl- they are, They have so many complications, and you don't know how. To- if you're not strong enough, you cannot. You are not able to handle it. Wow, you must really be a strong woman, and uh, I really want to commend you for that. Now, tell us about the blood transfusion and the bone marrow transplant that you had. I really want to hear about that story, about the donor story, and also, I think you you said your daughter had a blood transfusion and your son had a bone marrow transplant. Is that what you said? No, both kids had bone marrow transplant. Oh, okay. But my son, before he, he had the bone marrow transplant, mm-hmm. he had a stroke when he was 12. Mm-hmm. So when he had a stroke at 12, after three weeks, he was having blood transfusion. So he had the blood transfusion every three weeks for nine years mm-hmm. until he got a donor that was able to give him the bone marrow transplant to be able to be healed. Wow. Because I just imagine back home, if I was in Cameroon, needing this blood every three weeks, where should I get this blood? So when Zita started with that foundation, trying to get everyone to be a donor for blood, it was just one of the best things she did because uh, mostly those kids, they need blood all the time. Right. But sometimes they can't even afford it. 
Right. So both kids had the bone marrow transplant, but the blood transfusion was just the one that had a stroke when it was 12. So the first daughter that had a bone marrow, she was eight, and one of the siblings was the donor. So she's 19 now. Mm-hmm. My son, the, the, uh, he, he had a stroke when he was 12, and he had a bone marrow when he was 21. Right. Wow. Yeah, so he didn't have any donor from the family, but we were so fortunate to have somebody that a donor who came from Brazil to give him the bone marrow transplant. So tell us about that. Like, how did they find the donor? Like, how did he, someone in a different continent, become a match? Okay, we have this program everywhere to be a match. So everybody registers so they can take donors from everywhere. Mm. So I think it's just something that be a match. I think it's right. a connection that everybody can can be a donor. So you are tested and when they find a match, so they try to communicate with the donor. And sometimes people don't even want to be the donor, but I was just fortunate because that one was able to work with us until uh, he came here. Wow. That's yeah. that's really amazing. I mean, yeah. that that's definitely a combination of God's grace and, yeah. you know, just being fortunate because not many people can have the same story. How have their lives been impacted by this bone marrow transplant, like in positive ways and negative ways as well? Yeah, it's been just very wonderful because my daughter who has the bone marrow transplant when she was eight, she didn't have any complication, but my son had a bone marrow when he was 20. 21, he had a lot of complications. So the bone graft uh, sometimes wasn't holding. And uh, he's been going through, but by the grace of God, he's doing great. He's okay. doing fine. And uh, I'm so just grateful to know that I was fortunate to have uh, donors. Because sometimes you really want that treatment. But if you don't have donors, you cannot you cannot have a bone marrow transplant. Right. So, yeah. So with those kids, I was just blessed to have those donors. And um, they have been doing good going to school. The last one, as I told you, he's going through a lot of complications. But right now, by the, the grace of God, he's doing good. Okay, perfect. That's really great to hear. So did they, like, have any episodes at all after the bone marrow transplant? Or they still have episodes, but it's very... Very rare and also not as severe as before. Uh, with the bone marrow transplant, it's the cure. So they oh, are healed. Wonderful. Yeah. That's so great they news. Are not, they are not sickle cell anymore. They are just like you and I. So they are healthy, just like you, like you and I. And they are just doing great. So they are not sick anymore. Mm-hmm. That's really wonderful news. And I feel like this is something that, you know, will definitely help a lot of people. I mean, I I haven't really looked much into the impact bone marrow transplant has on patients, but that's, that's a very good thing to hear and hopefully a good thing and a ray of hope to our listeners. So, I mean, I want to go back to the blood transfusion and let's, you know, shed a little bit more light on the essence of blood transfusion. And I believe I would like for you, Zita, to come in at this point and especially to highlight the things that you're doing because I am very, very sure that, you know, what you are doing is very rare and very impactful, especially to the community in Cameroon. So I wanted us to, you know, just digress a little bit and 
focus on the importance of blood transfusion, especially within sickle cell patients, as well as the importance of blood donation. So just tell us about your organization and what you do and why you chose to start it. So I just, before I go into all that, I wanted to piggyback off of what Ms. Charlotte said about the foundation being a match and how powerful it is when hospitals are working with organizations like that to bridge the gap, right? So now with Lifeline, Lifeline is an organization I started in 2018. And the reason I started the organization, it really was from a personal experience. So my dad, we grew up in Douala, which is a city in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. And my dad was sick and he had some internal break. internal bleeding so when he got to the hospital my aunt my mom called me i was like oh daddy's sick he just lost some blood and you know he needs a blood transfusion and in my mind and this was probably in 2018 when this happened Mm-hmm. early on in 2018 and in my mind I'm like oh this should be an easy process right. and I'm calling to, to get updates oh we're still looking for the blood we're still, I'm like this blood that you are looking for I don't understand so, <laughs> <laughs> so explaining to me the process and all of that and I was just blown away that in order for you to get the blood that you need despite the fact that you have to pay up front for the cost of that, of the blood, you have to provide two replacement donors for every bag. So if you need one, he needed four bags, so that means he needed eight donors. Mm. My mom is an old negative, which is the universal donor, so mm-hmm. she could give. By the time you count all your neighbors, you try to gather people here and there. Some people are available, some people are not available, some people don't want to donate. You know, it, 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 it puts a strain on the process and also delays. Right. So, um, to cut the long story short, he wasn't transfused until probably about nine hours later. Oh and goodness. this is really good case scenario. Like, this is the best case scenario. And so that started my... The organization. My solution thinking had kind of came on. I'm like, so how can we do it? And I started researching, what's the process here in the U.S. for, for blood donors? And I know Red Cross is constantly recruiting, recruiting and things like that. So that's okay. when I started work in Cameroon in 2019. Right. How I designed my program was to partner with the blood banks directly mm-hmm. because I realized that one piece was missing recruitment and management of the blood donors. So every time a donor came in contact with the blood bank, it was probably a family member that was sick and there was no follow-up after that. Right. So that's how Lifeline started. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, that's definitely a solution to a very obvious problem in in the health system in Cameroon and probably in other African countries. And I mean, thank you so much for really demonstrating that value proposition of the organization and the services that you guys offer. Now, what are the steps that the team follows, you and the team follows in terms of like the blood donation process? Like, how do you get people? How do you convince people? Because, you know, I mean, maybe you probably have even a better understanding of, you know, some of the superstitious beliefs that we have in Cameroon or Africa against like giving out your blood. People think, you know, people want to give out blood to for for uh, rituals and stuff like that you know yeah, so yeah. what what process is like what is the process and the steps that you guys take to first start by convincing people to donate blood and then also partnering with these organizations and also i i want you to also use your response to highlight the the need for blood and the demand for blood in cameroon 
Okay, so at a high level, the WHO requires a nation, 3% of the nation, to be voluntary blood donors in order to meet the demand. Mm. Cameroon is actually at 0.002% of that. Right. In terms of benevolent donors. And then even just meeting the demand is another whole issue. Right. So there truly isn't blood in the blood banks like they are they're running on empty because replacement donors are not the best population pool Mm. because think about a family who has a a brother or sister who is sick they need blood right away they're gonna get it by any means necessary so if it means paying somebody off the road to come give blood at the blood bank that's what they're going to do. And statistics have shown that those are the worst types because the blood ends up being thrown away or discarded because the tests are not good, mm. right? The test results, so they might be HIV positive or, you know, mm. this contaminants in the blood because you're not getting quality. You're not going through the process of vetting the type of donor. Because if I volunteer, I want to come and give blood, I probably think that I'm of good health. Yeah, but if you're but if you're telling me that I should, you're gonna pay me ten dollars or twenty dollars, then my incentive is different. Okay, benevolent donors are better quality. It's it, it's a better quality of blood, and so it's really the main focus for blood banks to have more benevolent donors than replacement donors. Mm-hmm. So how do we go about recruiting? Recruitment is actually very tough because one. The culture of donation, of volunteering, is not something that we have. Right. Right? And so a lot of times the question is for what? What am I getting in return? Why should I do it free when the blood bank is selling? Right. So a lot of our strategies are education and also sensitization. Sensitization by telling personal stories too. People who have become benevolent repeat donors because maybe they saw the need or a family member of theirs went through and needed blood and some random stranger came in to do that for them. And so that made them yeah. more sensitive to the needs of people who really need blood. So I would say that from a cultural perspective, even within the same country where we're in Douala and Yaoundé, it's also different. Yeah. In Douala, they have their own culture. Yaoundé has its own culture. And let's not even talk about the North. Yeah. That's a different culture. So every strategy, you have to develop different strategies for the different populations that you're trying to educate and sensitize about donating blood. Right. So we use a wide variety of ways to sensitize and educate pub- um, the public. And a lot of it goes with partnerships with different like-minded organizations like say, and Miss Charlotte's organization, that would be a good partnership where we partner with them and make the parents understand that you too could be, if you're not, I don't know if sickle cell is being tested in your blood for blood, mm-hmm. but I don't know that that's a deterrent for becoming a blood donor. You can actually donate. And a lot of people are just not informed of like what makes you, that you're eligible to donate and there's really nothing wrong in giving right. your blood. The red blood cells represent die out and rebuild themselves every 120 days. So it's just a lot of education and trying to sensitize them to get a human feel to, to what they're doing and how it's saving a life. 
Right. Amazing. Awesome. So I see sometimes on your social media, you know, on your stories, you always share screenshots of like people that are asking for blood, you know, and usually 10 out of 10 times, it's literally an emergency, like life or death situation, you know, and that really highlights the demand for blood in our country, in Cameroon, and maybe even in Africa as a whole. Now, how is that Mm -hmm. process when they, because I mean, they're not even supposed to be asking you directly. They should be asking the hospital, (laughs) you know? So like Mm -hmm. when that happens, like how is the process for you to make sure that they get the blood that they need? Okay, so the future state of Lifeline, we really want to be at a place where we have a big pool of donors where when you call us and say you're in Idea or you're in Yaoundé and you need two donors and we can call at least 20 people and maybe one person will show up, right? Mm. So that's where, that's the vision. Mm. But where we are now, we are still growing, we are still getting the donor pool and so when we get sos calls like that we reach out to our groups to our donor groups and try to say okay there is an emergency at this hospital can you go donate and there are people that will say oh one location i am currently here but it's going to take me one hour two hours to get here and we do get responses sometimes we don't sometimes some people are not disposed but within our groups we've seen that the willingness is there but maybe Mm. they're caught up with other life activities that they cannot donate right so yeah and with one of the cases because i group the need into three categories there is a group of people who don't have the finances to pay for the blood that they need mm-hmm. right but maybe they have donors maybe they have replacement donors we have other people who don't have replacement donors and they have but they have the finances to pay for the blood that they need right and the blood that they need is available Right, that's another group. Then we have the third group where they the blood that they need mm-hmm. is not available. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, you're looking for a specific donor. Right. So you need B because you want that they should just get it from that person and give it to you to use. And so within those different categories, and every time that they reach out to our organization, I ask, I'm like, what exactly is your issue? Is the blood you need not available? And another challenge I've seen within the system is the, the banks are not talking to each other. You can be in Yaoundé and there are 10, 10 blood banks and maybe two have the blood that you need but you have to physically walk to all these 10 places to find and going mm-hmm. right so we're also trying to get to a place where the more hospitals we partner with we'll have more visibility yeah, and we can a network say, well, have it here come here bring the three donors or we can provide you with the two donors they are available and we go from there and reduce that time we're hoping that we can breach that time gap right you and when you actually get it right yeah, I mean, that that really highlights the need for also a kind of integrated health system. And that's actually what is being pushed for, especially here in America, when it comes to value-based care, because it's all about improving yeah. the overall health outcomes of the patient through, you know, offering value-based care, basically integrating the care process for the patients where the doctors and nurses, every member of the healthcare team, they collaborate and form a network where they can literally communicate easily, you know, with each other to take care of that patient. So I feel like that's a very smart way to 
do it to create that network between the different blood banks so that there should be that kind of connection especially in Cameroon and in a lot of other countries when you have two organizations or two businesses doing the same thing they look at each other as competitors but at some point if you know they come together for the you know greater vision for the greater good of the community they both have the same mission actually but it's like they look at each other as competitors and once we get rid of that you know mentality i feel like we would literally do a lot more in our community yes. so that's such a good idea that you brought now i would only imagine you guys face even more challenges because it's not easy to run such an organization especially an organization where a lot of the people are still skeptical a lot of the donors are still skeptical and they want to they want some incentivization right they want you to give them something for their blood right. you know what i mean so i would only right. imagine that funding has probably been an issue especially for your organization which is still like at its infant stage so what are some of the issues that you face with the funding and you know financial support that you receive that is a major challenge for the past year i have been self funding and also just for an integrity standpoint on my part i wanted to be sure that this was the concept that could work and this was something that the administration would be receptive of that so i feel like i'm at a point where i have proven that it works and there is a need and and the population is not totally insensitive to the need of it i just think they just need to be more educated and the blood bank needs to be more transparent in their mm-hmm. practices right so if the blood bank was perceived almost like a black hole it's right. like oh you guys are drinking blood in right. the people don't work at the blood bank right so demystifying the blood bank yeah. was, was found that it's such a great way to and the the the, the power of word of mouth mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so coming back to the finance financial um to the funding it takes resources to plan campaigns it takes resources right. to educate people it right. takes resources to mobilize one or two people or bring them together right, right. so um we are encouraging any form of donations be in kind or in cash we are looking to partner with anybody that can help us foster our mission and i have been doing little fundraising on on social media going to my website and doing a donation but i am now planning bigger campaigns fundraising campaigns where we can raise money and bring more awareness as to what we're doing right. one of the challenges with blood or hematology as a if I should call it an industry mm. is there's not a lot of uh, direct funding yeah there's a lot of indirect ways to fund a lot of the big organizations like the UN and things like that they they, they like to fund the government mm. and then the government will go ahead and do they 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 hardly especially for organizations that are doing work in Africa right. they don't directly want to fund those associations and i may be wrong and i'm open to getting more information about funding i uh, this is a new territory for me as well so i am learning but it has been a challenge on finding ways to get funding and create programs that are mutually beneficial to funders as well as you and where does that mutual goal yeah. being accomplished right? right so that i would say has been the challenge that i have so far is wow. finding organizations that directly support the, the the mission right yeah i would only imagine that to be one of the 
you know, the primary challenges because at some point without any kind of funding, you can't really do as much as you would like to. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, would, I would definitely, for the listeners who are very interested in supporting this very, very important cause, I'm going to put most of both of the organizations in the show notes and also on the website for those who are interested in um, supporting. Now, talking about partnership, Miss Charlotte, I know that, you know, you had mentioned about your own organization and the help that you give to, especially to the sickle cell families back home in Cameroon. And I believe you also wanted organizations that partner with the Lifeline organization, which, you know, Zeta has. So what do you, like, what other things do you do with your organization to help, you know, families back home? Okay, my organization, since I created uh, this organization, things are not really going the way I wish because I could have done a lot of things uh, in Cameroon, but with the system, things are so just hard and difficult. I have the opportunity to, to take medical supplies back home to which I can give to one of the, the hospital. I try with Lacantini that was that have sickle cell center. It didn't really work the way I thought because that was a good place to really focus because that's where a lot of kids with sickle cell Right. But it didn't work. So I tried polyclinic Bonanjo. Things were things were, were going very so good because uh, uh, we signed a contract for two years and uh, I have a sister back home that was uh, recruiting, going to church, uh, to school to get those kids with sickle cell and they will register. So when I go home with medical supplies, I will just give it to the clinic. So the clinic would take care and she will issue them an ID. So each time when the child is sick, this child, they would, the parents would just take the child to polyclinic Bonanjo and they will get free treatment over there. But unfortunately, what happened was the COVID-19 that came mm-hmm. and uh, the, co- the, the, the contract was uh, disrupted. So right now, I face a lot of challenge when it comes to finances. What I do usually is just like, you know, uh, a fundraising with my community. Mm-hmm. They, in Oklahoma, they are very supportive. And uh, right now, the medical supplies are there, but it's just a big challenge financially, mm-hmm. but yeah. I still try to help as much as I can. Well, thank you both for helping despite the hurdles. I mean, living in the United States and running an organization in Africa as a whole, or even in another country, is definitely challenging. And especially with, you know, the other things that have been happening in the world so far with the COVID-19 pandemic and stuff like that, which has drastically slowed down processes and operations. I would only imagine the additional challenges that you guys, you know, face. So I really want to thank you for being resilient and still sticking to your mission and your end goal of really making that impact in the community. Now, I want us to shift a little bit to raising awareness um, in the community because in as much as we put in a lot of effort to, you know, make that impact through blood donation, there, there, there's still a lot of hurdles that, you know, we tend to face or you guys tend to face in the community. And I feel like raising awareness and letting people understand certain things and the importance and the value of donating blood could definitely contribute towards that sensitization and helping to get people to act and give their blood, you know, donate their blood. Now, I remember Zita, when we were talking at one point, you were talking about a few instances where, you know, you had family members with sickle cell 
patients, for example, and they were like looking for blood donors, like they're looking for blood when they didn't even know that they could actually donate the blood. You know, I really want you to talk more about that so that a lot of people, because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who can potentially be helpers, like in terms of donating blood, but they just don't have that initiative, you know, to do it. You know, so I really want you to shed more light on that to basically encourage people to give blood. Yeah, so... When I was in, I was in Cameroon for about six months, and during my time there, I did, um, I participated in two of our major campaigns. And prior, in between campaigns, and even just being there, I was trying to, I initiated several conversations with different people. And sometimes I spent a whole day at the blood bank, and I see people who are coming, and because they're in need and stuff. And the perception I had for most people that came to the blood bank that were in need is they, they perceived donors to be some of the person yeah some external person to, yeah they seem to be and you hear them oh i pray no let god send us a donor and i'm like <laughs> have you tried and they said you can't or right. you know is there maybe some medical reason why you cannot donate and and they, they're almost the, the 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 look on her face at the time was was shocked like i've not even thought about that Hmm. Right. Right. And um, so I I think we're trying to change the narrative to a donor could be you, it could be me. Right. It's not like some yeah it's... person <laughs> yeah. from somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I guess demystifying who a donor is. Right. And right. Just anybody over the age of eighteen that is in good health and and I always say just go try. You know, if you if they check your blood count and all that and you're not eligible they're not going to take it they're going right. to let you know that you're not eligible so those are some of the things and also convincing somebody i'm very passionate about this and i during the campaigns i was handing out flyers i was talking to people i'm like oh it's just right there like right <laughs> a few steps away <laughs> and i couldn't convince one person wow <laughs> i personally couldn't one guy was like look I am not giving. He's like, oh. I, am not, I am not going to give. And he, that's the end of story. If I was in need, he was going to come give it on my behalf. But just to go give it for free, he's not going to give it. Hmm. You know, and when somebody tells you such a matter of fact way, it, it's like, and then I, I had another person tell me, um, they're never going to give blood because when they needed it, and he, when they needed blood, because they were, I think they were going into a pre-planned surgery or something like that, and so he had to have a certain amount of blood available. And he paid somebody to come give blood. He paid the person. The person arrived, <laughs> gave transport money. This is funny. He was not funny. <laughs> paid the person transport. The person got there. Said he's hungry. He needs to eat first. <laughs> <laughs> He fed the person, and when the person went in to go during the free screening, he's like, I have HIV. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And and so he's like, That experience, that do I know how many people he paid to come in? He would never ever be a blood donor. And I was just like, Okay, yeah, it's unfortunate you went through that situation, but like, this is that, you know? Yeah. so it's just there's just a lot yeah. of work that needs to be done. When you think about it, it's quite overwhelming. There's yeah. a mentality, a lot of people's experiences when maybe they needed blood or right. and that's 
we have to acknowledge that customer service is something that we struggle with, mm-hmm. right? And with our training, with the uh, when training with the blood bank staff, we make them understand that this caretaker of the patient that needs blood could be the potential donor. Right. So you have to be empathetic about how you treat them because that person's bad experience at the blood bank goes to 10 people in your neighborhood and those are 10 donors that you completely lost. Yeah. Lost. Yeah. You know, so now we're trying to put in those strategies in place, trying to make sure that, you know, we receive those patients, caretakers of the patients well, mm-hmm. they have a good experience overall from a patient stand, caretaker standpoint and also from a donor standpoint. I'm like, a donor cannot come, put in all this effort to recruit somebody, they show up and you say you're going home. You don't right, want to Right, right. You yes. know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. So these are some of the things that, you know, luckily we've been blessed and I have turned down a hospital. Um, um, I have walked into a hospital that contacted us to work with. And I just spoke with the management and I saw that this was not going to work. Right. Because we need to be in alignment with where we're going. Yeah. You can't treat people a certain way and then you expect this same person to come back. They're yeah. not going to come back. The experience yeah. they have at the blood bank would determine if they're going to come back again to donate. Yeah. This is their time. This is their resources that they're they're taking to be here. Mm-hmm. So with the, luckily with the hospitals that we're working with, they are very cognizant of that. The leadership is very proactive to pass down that culture mm-hmm. within their staff. So overall, we are not where we want to be, but I think that we are going to get there. It's one step at a time. Right. Wow. It must really be a, an experience, you know, <laughs> like dealing, yeah. dealing yeah. with all those things, you know, through the organization. So I really want to commend you for that. And, you know, at some point it's like, regardless of what you tell people, they would just not be convinced, like from your own example, you know, they would just not be convinced to donate blood. So, but at least we, we need to start from somewhere. Right. So uh, with this question, I, I really want to get both of y'all's opinions on like, you know, what you will tell the African community, especially regarding the importance of blood donation. So Miss Charlotte, I would want you to basically Talk about that from a personal perspective, how blood donation has saved your kid's life, basically. You know, I would want you to use your response from that approach to really highlight the importance of blood donation. And then Ms. Zita, I would also like for you to use your own experience through the organization to really let people know how lives have been changed through blood donation, you know, just to highlight that importance of blood donation. So Charlotte, I'll let you go first. Okay. The blood transfusion have changed my perspective about a lot of things that happened. So to my son that was that had a stroke when he was 12. So I cannot just imagine I was in Cameroon or in Africa needing that blood every three weeks mm. for nine years. Wow. So giving blood. It's just like giving bone marrow transplant. Be a donor. Because be a donor, you may be not the one that needs that blood or the bone marrow. Mm -hmm. You can save a lot of lives. Mm -hmm. Just imagine somebody that I never met, never knew in a country that I will maybe never go uh, go there in Brazil, that offer, because he was a match. 
to somebody that he never met, wow. never talked to, to just come and give that that bone marrow. So people need to understand that our mentality needs to change because giving blood is just to save life. Yeah. I remember my lately I sent my husband back home. That was in February. I sent him to random with 200,000 to see who he can really help uh, at the clinic with the sickle cell at La Quintini. He arrived there. This man, he needed two bags of blood. He couldn't afford it. How much was it? 24,000 a bag. So he could have been just dead if he didn't have nobody, you know, to give him that money to buy those bags of blood. Yeah. So giving blood is saving life. Yeah. It's saving life because you don't have that blood. You can easily yeah. die. Right. Just the blood can make, can kill you. Mm. So when you cannot offer to give that blood, it may be you tomorrow. You may yeah. need that blood tomorrow. But if you're not a donor, so I encourage everyone to give blood because it's a lifesaver. Wow. So, Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. What about you, Miss Zeta? When we say give blood, it saves three lives. I remember I was talking to one of my, the head of the blood bank at one of the partner hospitals. I was like, what does that really mean? Give blood save three lives. So he said, every bag of blood can be fragmented into three different products, red blood cells, platelets, and plasma. Mm -hmm. And these can serve three different types of patients. And in Cameroon, especially, we, the lot of the patients, I would say almost 40% is, maternal, during maternal uh, deliveries and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, let me not quantify. Let me just say a majority mm-hmm. is due to maternal um, during deliveries the and bleeding. things like that. Mm-hmm. Bleeding during deliveries. Pediatric anemia um, from malaria. Mm-hmm. And then people with blood disorders as well. Yeah. So then let's not talk about cancer patients. Right. And things like that. So the need and and accidents, hmm. accidents actually oh, yeah. is, is, is actually a big cause. Mm-hmm. And we have seen where in Cameroon there was an accident in his in Ezeka or something like that. I, I'm not calling it right. Mm-hmm. There was a train accident and there was massive lives lost and lots of people that were injured mm-hmm. and the, 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 the city the town mobilized I mean the blood banks were could not even collect enough blood from people so people came out to mm-hmm. donate so what am I trying to say we have it in us to put yeah. ourselves aside but it shouldn't only be in emergency or tragic situation right, right. right? and I think that we don't realize that the need for blood to really be anybody. You could have malaria and you become anemic and then you need to be transfused. Right. You can have a roadside accident and you need to be transfused. So you can be a donor. We, we can all be a donor. And when I talk about donations, I remember when I was in college here in the U.S., there was, I think, Red Cross or something was on campus, and I was just curious. I was right. like, oh, what are they here for? And this is way before Lifeline even was the thing. And they told me, oh, blood, um, they're collecting blood. I'm like, hmm, interesting. Okay. So I'm filling out the form, and I was disqualified because I go to Africa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't qualified, but, I, but to say that 
I'm just saying this to say that even us in the diaspora, we can be part of the solution. Yeah. There are, there are, there, we need to get into the mindset of donating. If we can, mm-hmm. try and let them disqualify you, but don't right. just assume that you are not going to be, uh, uh, you're not going to qualify. Because I think even traveling to Africa, there is a timeline, maybe five years or something. If you haven't gone within five years, something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. then you can donate. So I would say that we need to, and one question somebody asked me today in one of my other meetings was how many of us when we go to the DMV and they say be a donor or an organ donor do right. we do we check that right mm-hmm. so that got me that gave me some pause I was like you know we need to check ourselves too yeah. sometimes and and this is we are getting a bone marrow transplant from somebody in Brazil. I'm sure if we call B a match and ask how many Africans are on your list, mm-hmm. we will be surprised right. to see the numbers that they're not very reflective of the population size. Right, right. That's <laughs> so, very true. Uh, yeah, so I think if we're expecting to to be able to receive some of these services, then we should, and, and, and now I'm going to look more into bone marrow. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Right. That's, that's, that's very true. What you said was very true. I mean, even about donating blood here, I also had a similar experience as you. I mean, for that one, in we had a class, we had, a, it was like a biology class or something. And to get extra credit, they encourage you to go and donate blood. So I went and I mean, I was just like fresh off the boat from Africa and they were like, Nope, you're not, you're not doing it. Cause you know, I mean, they asked if I've had malaria. I'm like, yep. They're like, no, you can't do it. <laughs> they're like no you can't do it you know but i mean things like that i even felt it just made me think like what if it was even incorporated in schools you know as a way to encourage people you know to and so there are countries in africa like uh senegal ivory coast and even ghana mm-hmm. whose blood bands operate 100 benevolent Wow. And for for these types of things to occur from a national standpoint, it takes collaboration at all levels. Yeah. From the Ministry of Public Health advocating for that to the Ministry of Education, everything needs to be synchronized. Mm-hmm. And within Lifeline, we, we have a program, it's an internship program, and it's Lifeline Educators program. Mm-hmm. And we just had a, a high school student, he's in the sciences and who wants to be a doctor mm-hmm. and he was interning and he's just blown away with right. the knowledge about blood he up until high school he has never heard about blood or the need for it wow that's that that's really good i mean that's 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 an interesting story actually yeah. and i mean i i just want to thank you guys for you know, all of this, you know, different ideas that you have brought together and shared on the importance of, you know, blood donation, you know, because that will forever be something that is very, very important because especially for us here in the diaspora, we shouldn't think that Africans don't need blood (laughs) because we're going to need blood. I mean, I have had a blood transfusion or two in the past, you know, and I feel like, you know, you never know when you will need it. You know, just being a donor does not necessarily mean that you're never going to need, you're only helping someone, but you never know 
know there's also another donor out there who has given blood for you to use in the future so you never know when you will need blood so i feel like we need to also consider the fact that one day we're also going to be on the other side of the of the road and we may need that blood you know so it's always good for us to help others so i just want to thank you guys for sharing all of this stories and insights with me and i would definitely put your contact information in the show notes you know for all the listeners who want to support who want to show support or at least participate or contact you guys i will put all of that in the show notes you know for you guys so i really just want to thank you both for coming on here and i really hope that you know this conversation does not end here as i always say i hope that we can all take these conversations and you know continue talking and continue sparking these conversations within our individual circles and our little communities and see how we can come together to better our community as a whole, you know, and I just want to thank you guys again for coming on here and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo. Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.